I'm going to invite your attention to John chapter 12, not make any other introductory comments this morning. John chapter 12, I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you would. John chapter 12. <clears throat> Read these first eight verses. John 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Father, use this message from your word to be simply a tool, a biblically mandated tool to help produce what you want to produce in the hearts of members of Canaan this week. And we don't always know what that is. You do. I pray that you would take what is preached because it is your word and that with the empowering and illumination of the Holy Spirit, we would not only know what we ought to do, but have the power to do it. I pray that you would use this message for your own honor and glory in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want us to understand the setting that takes place here where Jesus is coming up to the, the time of the, the Passover comes. And he goes back to Bethany where Lazarus is. Lazarus having been raised from the dead earlier, that was a, a, a great act and Jesus had become even more known for that. He had been, had been praised by some for that, but others had been unhappy. The Jews were really unhappy that he would perform a miracle like this. The fact that they had raised a man from the dead was beyond them. It did not fit what their opinion and belief of their religion should be. And one could even raise somebody from the dead and that would still not convince them that they maybe were thinking wrong. A little bit like we talked about in Sunday school that with the Pharisees there was a way which seemed right to them but it was the end that, was the, that way was the end of death. And, and so they had wanted to kill Jesus, so he, he leaves the area uh, for a time. But he comes back maybe to check on Lazarus and, and his, his family to see how they were doing. And, and it tells us again that it kind of combines with this idea the Passover is coming. 
And so Jesus is going to make his way to the Passover as well and stops by to check on Lazarus at that time. So in verse 2, after we kind of get the setting of, of him there with Lazarus, it says they made a supper, they made Jesus a supper, and Martha is serving. And then it says that Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him, which again is just making it clear that, I mean, the, these, these sisters, these others that loved him, never thinking they would see him again, are actually sitting at supper with him. And I mean, it's, it says that as if we're supposed to be reminded again, this is a big deal. None of you have ever sat down with somebody that already died. I just, it hadn't happened. And you, you probably wouldn't believe it if, it if it had, but Jesus was there and he made it happen because he, I mean, he is the resurrection. And, and so he was able to do this and he did it. And it, it was amazing. So at this supper, then they're sitting there and Martha is, is um, helping to serve and she's taking care of all the details and, and she's doing a, a good thing and certainly it doesn't say anything opposite of that in this text and, and they're enjoying that with, with Lazarus being there. But in some ways as we, as we come to the end of, of verse 2, it's as if we, we realize that for a moment maybe Mary goes missing. And she's not sitting there with them, Martha serving, Lazarus sits at the table. But potentially Mary has maybe gone into her own room and gone to a shelf and taken off of that shelf this vase. And in that vase was this ointment, a spikenard. We don't even know exactly what spikenard was, what it was a combination of, we just know that it was something very expensive. And she goes and she gets this vase and she comes to a decision at that point in time that she's going to use that vase with Jesus and on Jesus. The, the financial people who look at all of these things of past and present, they tell us that that at that time, that likely would have been about a year's salary. And for a woman in that culture, that would be especially notable because they would not have as much opportunity sometimes to sustain a living. And, and so this would be something very important to her, very vital to her for her future, potentially not having a man that was taking care of her. We don't know all of those circumstances. We just know the scripture is trying to tell us this was very expensive. And, and if it truly is a year's salary, that represents something that was very important to her that she had decided Jesus was worth. So she goes and, and something in her mind, in her emotions, maybe mentally, spiritually, something brings her to a point where she goes and gets this ointment and she goes to the feet of Jesus and she takes this ointment, this year's worth of, of salary, and she pours it on Jesus. She pours it, this text tells us that she pours it on his feet. And then not only does she pour it on his feet, but then she sits down there as well and takes her hair, which her hair is down, which again in their culture 
it, it wasn't necessarily acceptable for a, a woman to have her hair down in public or around others. But at this supper, she has her hair down and she's taking her hair, which must have been fairly long for her to do this. And she gets down at the feet of Jesus and she wipes this ointment off his feet with her hair. Now I want you to picture that scene. What that looks like. As, as a matter of fact, when you, when you get to the, you get to verse three and, and it says that this very costly ointment anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the, the smell of that ointment temporarily filled the room where, where they could smell this. But what I would like to do for a moment is, is act like maybe this was a, a movie or a video playing in front of us and we freeze the frame right here. We stop and we look at this scene. And in this scene, we would have Jesus sitting there and Mary would be at his feet and, and picture literally what's there. Jesus is there maybe with just some little bit of residue of this ointment on his feet. But look beyond that. On the floor, this, this dirt floor, you would have this ointment that has mixed with all the, the, the dirt. Basically, you have some mud. And you look at Mary, who is here, and you look at this woman that you, you would assume or picture in your mind, this is a beautiful woman with, with this long flowing hair. Now she's got this matted hair. I mean, picture the scene. And here she is with this matted hair. And now looking at her ointment in the mud. And imagine what potentially could be going through her mind. And not, I don't know, the text doesn't say, I'm not, I'm not building the point on something the text doesn't say. But I mean, it, moments before, this ointment had been in this vase in her room and to be used for a lot of things, some major security in her life. But she decided Jesus was worth pouring that out on. She pours it on his feet. So moments later, the ointment's all gone. She can't retrieve it. And it's mud. And it's matted here. Now imagine after the odor of the ointment has dissipated. And after she has gone and retrieved her vase and poured it on his feet. And then gone through the act of washing his feet, wiping his feet with her hair. The act is done, the odor is gone, and Mary wonders, what did I just do? What did I do? I, I had this ointment, my life savings before, moments ago. And then I got, I got caught up in, maybe I got caught up in the moment, and I, I can't believe I poured it on his feet. And now what do I have to show for it? Here's mud. My hair is matted. And at that moment, if it's possible, 
that Mary's wondering, what did I do? If she just got caught up in the emotions, maybe while she's thinking about that, she hears a voice. That's where the next verse picks up. As Mary is there at his feet with his matted hair and mud, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, with Mary sitting there, she hears a voice. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? I mean, she, she hears this, this voice that basically says, what did you do? What a waste. Mary, what were you thinking? Don't you know what you could have done with this ointment? You could have taken that ointment at some point in time. You could have taken it down to the marketplace and you could have sold it and gotten 300 pence and we could have fed the poor with that. Mary, you could have sold that and turned it into money. And, and you remember all of those times that, that people have left when Jesus was, was right at the, the pinnacle of teaching them and getting the point across, but they were hungry and we didn't have any food to feed them. And, and some of them just left and we could have fed them. And yeah, Jesus has had to perform a miracle a couple times. Mary, you could have sold that ointment, gotten the money, and we could have had money to feed people so they wouldn't have to leave. Mary, we, we could have taken that money and put it into the temple treasury so, so God's worship could be functioned. And, and I mean, we could come up with all of these things that basically he is saying, you, you wasted this ointment. There were some very practical things you could have done with this. And here it is, completely gone. And basically Judas is calling what she did ridiculous. She, she hears him speak and, and he explains his pragmatic reasoning or his utilitarian reasoning. But then we learn something in the next verse, in verse 6. Here's, here was his motive. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. So maybe, maybe Mary goes from this emotion that took her, brought her to the point of taking her ointment and pouring it out on the feet of Jesus and now in the mud and matted hair. And she goes from that to thinking, man, I, I, could, have, I could have used this on the poor. But now it's, it's gone. There's, it doesn't matter now. And maybe she feels bad that, that she wasn't mindful of the poor in that case. And she knew that Jesus would be. But, but what she didn't know is the one who was potentially making her feel ridiculous was the one who was going to betray Jesus for, the very, for less than what they were going to feed the poor for. And it says that he was a thief and he had the bag and bear what was put therein, which basically tells us he, he was likely the treasurer for the disciples. 
And any money that they got, they would put in, the, in a, a bag that Judas had and he would hold the money, but it says he was a thief. So evidently there are times when he's taken that money for the disciples and he's putting maybe some of it in the bag, but maybe he has another bag or he has a pocket and some of that money is going in the pocket. And the person who is doing that is saying to Mary, Mary, that was ridiculous. You could have used that for something a lot better than, than what you see it being used for right now. And what's interesting is if you, if you put this with the text in, in Matthew 26, where it tells us about this, in Matthew 26, it says that the disciples were making this point. So when you put these two together, if you get into what we call biblical hermeneutics and you're, you're kind of putting what we would, would call the synoptic gospels, meaning two gospels that are giving you pieces of this, it appears that Judas is the one who makes the point because he's a thief, but the other disciples hear it. They hear his reasoning and they buy into it. And therefore, they are, they're kind of follow along with Judas and they're saying, well, that's right, Judas. I mean, look at it. Look, look at this ointment in, in the mud. It's making mud now and you can't even smell it now. And it's in, in Mary's hair and her hair's a mess. And we, that's right, Judas, we should have done something different. And what they didn't realize is they were being taken in by a thief. And they, they heard his argument and they thought, well, yeah, that sounds good. And, and Judas's case was not hard to make because this ointment is now mud. It's an easy point to make that well, surely, surely there were better uses than that. Because that's ridiculous. You could have used it for these other things. The problem is the one making the point was making that point because he was a thief. He did not have the heart that Mary did. He was a thief and the disciples bought into it. So picture Mary sitting there at the feet of Jesus, looking at this mud, matted hair, the odor gone. What did I do? And sure enough, Judas just makes it clear, Mary, that was a waste. And she hears his voice. But then, according to the text, Mary hears another voice. She hears one more voice that takes us to the next verse. Then said Jesus in verse 7, let her alone. Let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you. You're going to be able to do something with them, but me ye have not always. And Jesus comes and says, you Leave her alone. Telling Judas and the rest of the disciples. And Jesus has a whole other view of what she did. And she hears that voice and he actually comes to her defense and explains to the other disciples what, what the significance of what she had done. And I, I don't, when I read the chapters before this, 
It seems that Jesus is, he is starting to convey to them a little bit about what's going to happen, that he's going to go to the cross. He has not explicitly stated it in a way which I think that they understand. So I'm not sure if, if Mary fully comprehended exactly what she was doing. I don't know that she really knew that, okay, I'm doing this because he's going to die and this is my only chance to anoint him but she does decide to, to spend lavishly on him. And then because Jesus knew what he was doing, he said, listen, she is doing something that she doesn't even fully comprehend the significance of what she did. She couldn't understand it yet because he hadn't gone to the cross and suffered and died for the sins of all mankind. He had just gone, he'd go to the cross and then he would, he would die and then, and then they would have the chance to go and, and bring the, the spices and prepare his body and do all those things for the burial. None of that had taken place and so she was already pouring this ointment on him and it had to be pretty clear that she didn't know exactly what she was doing. So Jesus is saying, listen, she's doing something more significant than she can even comprehend right now. And the text in Matthew said that what she did would be spoken of as a memorial until, until the end of time. That's, that's quite an act that everybody would remember until the end of time. So here's the scene. Jesus sitting there A little bit of residue of ointment on his feet, mud in the ground, the matted hair of Mary, no more smell in the air. And Mary hears that first voice of Judas, what a waste. And then she hears the voice of Jesus, that second voice. And at that point, Mary has to decide, which voice am I going to listen to? Which voice is right? Which voice makes the most sense? Now, there's a lot of people in this room who you at some point in time in your life came to a decision like Mary. You decided in some way Jesus is worth spending lavishly on. He's worth giving a lot to. His, his work, his plan, his, his church is worth giving so much to. But maybe, maybe it was financial and, and we're talking about, about missions and you're going to have a, a time in the future where where you are going to say, I'm going to give this much for missions. And, and, and some of you are going to do what you have done in the past. And it is going to be, based on where you're, you are at, you are going to choose to do something significant. You, you may not know where it's going to come from. You, you may not know what, what you're going to do in, in the future. You may realize this means that we're not going to get our house paid off quick enough or, or as fast as we want, as fast as we could. That may mean we're going to have to live with this, this car a little bit longer until we can get another one. But, but I just feel like that this is what the Lord wants us to do. And, it, and for you, it may be something lavish. For others, 
It might be like Colin and Kelly. And it's their life. And their home. And the church they love. And the youth that they cherish. Where something came along some point in time. And they said, we've got to give him a lot. In fact, we've got to give him all this. And we're going to let him have that. Our church and the youth and our home and our comfortable place at our church. Same thing the Sanderlands did at some point in time. And the Lassiters. They decided to spend lavishly on him. The same that some of of you maybe will face this at some point in time. Some young couple, some some young person in in the room. You you go to camp or you go to some youth rally and and God deals in your heart in a significant way. And you decide, I think I've got to give him something. I've got to give him the best that I can. The best thing that I can give him is the rest of my life. And I'll go to the mission field or I'll surrender to be a pastor or a pastor's wife. Or I'll, I'll give my life because I just find him worth it and I think it is significant. I want to give him everything that I can and there are some of you that maybe besides money or or not even just money but some of you give lavishly of your time. You spend a lot of time here during the week. You have a ministry and you you look at the, the hours of the week and all of us have the exact number of hours, the same number of hours in the week. And you, you came to a point where you decided, man, this ministry, this outreach, this operation, saturation, and going and trying to reach people and getting involved in this in this uh, this aspect, this event to bring people in or, or getting involved and in, in just pouring myself into my Sunday school class, pouring myself in, in into this ministry or, or pouring myself into into this time of, of trying to be free from, from this addiction and, and surrender to the Lord. And, I, and you give God a significant amount of time. And it's a lot. You give lavishly. Some of you have turned down job promotions in other places. You've given, you've given that to him lavishly because you want to do what God wants you to do right here. That's lavishly. Some of you have decided this is the kind of home. It's the kind of kids that we want to raise. Maybe some aspect of, of standards. Maybe some aspect of, of things that you're saying. I, you know, I just don't think that we ought to raise our kids that way. And you give up. The, the way that most people raise their families to say, no, I, I, I'm going to take the received truth from generation to generation to generation, and I'm, I'm going to try to raise my family in a godly way. I'm telling you, that is giving lavishly to Jesus Christ because there's not a lot of people doing that. And you will inevitably look at some of these decisions and freeze the frame and look around maybe on a given day, and wonder, what have I done? Did I, did I get caught up in the emotion? Did I just, did I, did I let, you know, Pastor Ingram preach this message and, and he had a sad story at the end 
And I, I just got caught up in the emotion. I went forward. And next thing you know, I'm committing my life to this. Or, or I, I got caught up. I let the missionaries' pictures on their video stir up my emotions. And then they, they gave me this card. And, and then I, I, I wrote this number down. And, and, you, and you put it in the plate. And then you go to figure out your finances the next week. And things look messy. You go to the mission field. You get on the field. And things get to looking messy. Boy, this isn't... Did I, did I really do the right thing? You get your giving statement in January. And you say, good grief. Look at these things that I, that I did without. I, our home needs this. We don't even, our air conditioner doesn't work right. Or whatever the messiness looks like, whatever it is in your life where it starts to look like matted hair or, or, or ointment in, in, the, in the dirt and, and this mud. And, and you look around or maybe you're a young person. You look around and you say, you know, man, I'm trying to live this kind of life or a family trying to raise their, their kids this way. And look around and man, other people, they, they have more freedom than I do. Look at that. They still have their ointment. They, they have a Sunday to use however they want to and a Wednesday night and they got all this time. They still have their ointment and, and they get to go to, to whatever university they want to go to and take this scholarship and, and take all this money and they've got all their ointment there that they can use for whatever they want to and I gave mine up. Well, you need to realize about that time you're going to hear voices. Going to hear two particular voices. I guarantee you, you will be able to find a voice of Judas that says, What did you do? What were you thinking? That's crazy. Don't you know how many other uses there are for your life? Look at all the wonderful things you could have done, all the career options in front of you. Don't you know what else you could have done with that money? I mean, your, your family has some needs and, and there's no reason that you serve God. There's no reason your neighbors should have a better yard than you and a better car than you and fresher paint than you and nicer appliances than you and newer appliances than you. There's no reason for that. You already give so much. Why couldn't you instead take that and use it for something more beneficial? And you'll hear those voices You'll get on the mission field, missionaries, and you'll hear those voices. About the time you look around and it, you, you, you feel like all of this was a, a, a waste and, and you will hear some voices that will try to convince you whether they're coming from inside or outside and they'll try to convince you that, well, there, there was, this is a waste. You could have used this. Consider what you could have done in those young people's lives. Consider what you could have done in, in, with, with the music and all of these other things. You really made a big mistake here. And you'll wonder why you wasted those parts of your life. And I'm telling you, you it, it's interesting. You can be so convinced at one moment that I'm supposed to give to him so lavishly and yet potentially just as convinced at another time if, if those emotions go up and down that this was, this was the dumbest thing I've ever done. And that'll happen. And those statements sometimes will be convincing. 
In fact, some of those who make the argument, there might be other people even at church that say, that's right, that makes sense. Just like the disciples agreed, other people at church can buy into that. And it's about that time that you need to wait for one more voice. You, you, you need to be careful not to just listen to the voice of Judas. You need to wait until Jesus has something to say. Amen. And the opportunity for him to convey once Judas has made his point. And even if you don't yet realize that those making the point of Judas, it's not that they're concerned about Christ. It's that they're concerned about stuff. Their own things. You need to wait. Let that clear. And listen for Jesus to say, you let them alone. They're doing more than they can even imagine right now. They can't even comprehend the significance of what they're doing. And there's going to come a time later in the future that Mary's going to say, oh, wow. I, I, I didn't even fully understand, but I got to be the first one to anoint him for his burial. I, I, I was... I, I, I did what I, I thought was right. And, and there came this time later when she became so thankful that she didn't listen to the voice of Judas. That she said, I, 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 when Jesus spoke, then she had to choose between those voices. And she said, I'm going I'm to accept the voice of what Jesus has to say about this. I'm not going to listen to the voice of Judas. And you will face the same thing. You're going to have to wait until you hear the second voice. And I would even beg you this morning, don't have regrets and don't try to take your ointment back until you've given time to hear that second voice. And that whatever it is that you have decided to give to Jesus Christ of your money, of your time, of your life, of your beliefs, even at times of your emotions, that when the voices come, that you wait until the voice of Jesus Christ. Everything you do for him, you will hear two voices. My challenge to you this morning is when it gets messy, don't stop with the voice of Judas. Wait until you hear what Jesus has to say. Let's stand together, every head bowed.